0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. <laughs> Those viewing the video version of this episode may have noticed that this is not my usual Vantic TV backdrop, and you may be hearing some noise in the background. Today's episode is being brought to you from the Field Service USA 2018 conference at the Ritz-Carlton Resort at Amelia Island, Florida. It's been a great event for field service leaders and practitioners to learn how to drive the digital business transformation of their organizations, very relevant to today's conversation. Joining me today is Roz Heiferman, Senior Digital Transformation Advisor at i8 Ventures based out of Israel, where Raz is joining us from today. Raz has previously held senior IT and leadership positions in both the Israeli government and industry. I'm also excited to note that Raz is one of the keynote speakers at Vantik's upcoming Global Partner Summit to be held this October 2018 in San Francisco. Thanks for the time Raz. Thanks for the introduction. You're welcome. So as you know, I've seen your presentation, or at least a preview of it, that you're going to give at our summit uh, this fall, and I'm really excited to hear you deliver it. And maybe uh, during the discussion today, you'll humor uh, me and our listeners by giving us a bit of a preview of your thought process. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah, of course. Excellent. Well, before we get into that, tell us a little bit more about i8 Ventures and what you do there.
1: Okay. I8 I Ventures is actually a new company established uh, at the beginning of this year by Professor Yesha Sivan, which is an academic and a senior digital consultant. And uh, we worked together for many, many years, having co-teaching lot, a lot of courses on the EMB, executive MBA programs. Mm -hmm. And we wrote together many articles, and uh, just, uh, I would say, in the last weeks even, we published our new book. It's a new book. It's in Hebrew. (laughs) It's in a digital format. (laughs) By the way, we are working on uh, translating it into English. Excellent. Excellent. Chinese Chinese is also uh, one of our, because Yesha is teaching in Mm -hmm. the Chinese University of Hong Kong.
0: Mm.
1: So uh, uh, and we have written an article that is going to be published uh, very recent, uh, very soon, by Cutter Consortium, and this is the article that we call it "Agilification of Your Digital Company." Mm. So this will be the topic that we will discuss a little bit later. So uh, IA Ventures is really a consulting company Which has several targets. One is to provide high level, senior level, executive and boards um, consulting services. But we also develop materials. And one of the materials is the book. Okay. And we also uh, are going to uh, present or to prepare materials for professors and for teachers so Hmm. that they can shorten. their their way to produce uh, such lessons on digital transformation.
0: Excellent. That's and I well, I very much look forward to the English edition of that book. So that, that, well,
1: I'm sure that will be. There. Yeah, it will take some time, but
0: you, yeah. it will arrive. That's great. Well, obviously, your experience in consulting and academia was uh, founded in a uh, many years in in industry in uh, in the so-called right. real world, learning these lessons. Maybe tell us a little bit about your journey to get to where you are today.
1: Yeah. I held, I, hold, uh, I held some very senior positions in the Israeli IT market, uh, being the, IT of, uh, the VP of Information Technology for Bezek. Bezek is the Israeli incumbent telecom, a very large company. I worked there for 10 years. And after that, I worked six years for a quite digital company, which is direct insurance which is a company that uh, provides direct services to customers, uh, not using agents. And there we transformed the company from a call center type of operation into a very, very digital uh, B2C uh, business. Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, I worked for a couple of years at the government, at the office of the government CIO, where I was in charge of what we called the shared services of the Israeli government, which means all the different ministries, and there are many ministries and authorities, are using some of the systems that we have developed as a shared service. So they don't have to invent the wheel time after time. Uh, In parallel to that, I uh, held several positions in academy, where I was teaching a lot of different courses. I wrote some books and articles and so on. Hmm. Excellent, well,
0: it's, I'm glad that we can benefit from your your knowledge <laughs> and experience here. So so uh, speaking of that, your presentation that you're uh, gonna be giving at the upcoming VANTIC Summit, and I think it sounds like your, your upcoming book as well, yeah. is, is uh, related to the notion, and I think your title was, uh, Agility as the imperative for the digital age. As the new imperative, yes. The new imperative, that's right. Tell us about, at a high level, what's the core thesis behind, uh, behind your presentation?
1: The core, the core thesis is that uh, gone are the days that companies can talk about sustainable, long-term, competitive advantage. They must now, uh, let's say, m- be much more uh, adaptive to the new challenges or, and environment. And I'm using the, the term that uh, Rita McGrath, Professor Rita McGrath has written about and she calls it transient transient competitive advantage. Okay, Which means that companies should be very agile in order to be able to change quickly the course of the company and the competitive advantage in order to react quickly to what is happening in the technology, in the business models, in the competitive arena, and so on. So the, the real team that I believe is now the biggest challenge that companies have is how do they become agile companies. Mm. And this is what we have written in our article, and this is what I will present. We call it four forces. There are four different forces. Mm. Well, actually, and, so, Roz, before we get into the forces, I want to talk okay. a little bit about what's, what's
0: causing companies to have to adopt these forces, and I think you, you've touched on so many important topics already here. Okay. Uh, I, I, I really love the concept you have uh, in, in your slides that I've seen around the digital vortex, and yeah. you, I think the quote you have about you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf them. Is exactly. That the, is that fundamentally what agility is about? Or when you say
1: agility, what, what, do, you, what do you really mean? What do, you you, do we, mean? we mean? We really mean that this is the interplay of the different uh, forces that the company has to understand and to implement in order to survive and succeed in this new challenging, competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And it, re- it relates to culture. It relates to architecture. It relates to the digital business. It relates to your uh, different parts of the company, which is the digital architecture. Mm-hmm. So it's a quite complex uh, interplay that companies must learn how to uh, utilize. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we
0: take those in turn and, and dive in a little bit. So you mentioned culture as one of the forces that organizations yeah, need to consider. What, what, what are some of the impacts on culture or what it would, what, how does culture have to be adjusted, I guess, to uh, enable yeah. success in this transient uh, world of competitive advantage?
1: Yeah, as you know, culture is a very broad uh, term mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually it uh, is a very important one and it uh, impacts the companies in the way they behave. And if there are companies that have, are very rigid and very slow in decision-making and very slow in reacting, and they are more silo-based, they don't play together quickly uh, then they will have challenges in the new era. So uh, we believe that culture is almost one of the most important and, by the way, one of the most challenging uh, parts of the agilification of mm. a company. Mm. So uh, and, and what we really believe in is that it must begin from the top. It, it's not an um, issue that the IT department shall uh, or should Uh, pursue. It is something that is much larger than a single department. We are talking about an organizational culture, which means the speed that you are taking decisions, the way that you work together with your peers, uh, how quickly you adapt to new challenges and new business models and so on. Hmm. So we believe that Having said culture is, is a very, very important issue that somehow, sometimes, companies miss and they go directly to more technical parts of the, of the challenge. Well, I think part of, the,
0: part of the challenge that companies have in thinking about culture is, is uh, not understanding how do you create culture, how do you cause culture? right? I, I think yeah. a lot of a lot of companies and executive teams feel that culture is something that sort of happens, and maybe they inherited it from the history of the company. But I know leadership is also one of your forces. And as you said, leadership from the top is very important. How, what, what does that leadership have to look like in order to
1: create the culture that is necessary? Yeah. I believe that it starts with a lot of uh, giving, being an example, okay, for your employees the way you look and uh, re- react to the modern, let's say, environment. And uh, leaders have are the role models for many of the employees and the way that they behave and react is a very important part of creating the culture mm-hmm. that uh, encourages uh, experimentation, understands that if you are going in innovation, you will have, you will fail sometimes. And it's okay, as long as you learn from your failures, it's okay to fail and we call it fail fail fast, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of small issues that are making the big picture of culture. It's not one thing that the leadership should do. It's a set of different parts most of them by the example, they have to give the example how they behave and all the employees and the organization at large will learn how to do it and to be a much more agile. They have to encourage, for example, breaking the silos between the different departments. You have to start to work in small teams and uh, teams that are diverse. So there are a lot of issues regarding uh, culture and I really don't take it that it's something given and the company just uh, continues and the DNA of a company is something that you cannot change. I don't believe in that.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So leadership
0: through example, you know, uh, utilizing it's it. it's a very important of part, part of, part of, of, part part of, of, of it. fast, breaking silos, encouraging diversity, small agile teams, using uh, methodologies and leadership based on those principles can help you believe, more culture sure. in a way that can make a company more agile.
1: Yeah, you are, you are right. And there are some method, methodologies out there like Scrum and Agile. And so most of them come from the software development. Mm-hmm. But when we talk agilification of a company, it's much larger than the IT department. Mm-hmm. So uh, at some time, uh, the organization has to stop piloting agility and scale it to the scale of the whole company and that's the the tipping point that most companies are missing they are continuing to pilot in different departments and so on they have at some point to stop and make scale up to the whole organization
0: Yeah, that's a very wise comment. I'm I'm gonna use that if if you don't mind. This notion of guys, stop piloting agility. Everybody is is doing a POC of of agility instead of actually becoming agile organizations. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. That's a great comment. So I think going down the the stack, I guess, another of your four forces is, is business architecture. What, yes. does, what does that fundamentally mean? And maybe that's something to do with not just piloting agility, but making it a part of your business architecture. So tell us more about yeah, that.
1: The business architecture is really uh, a part of what we see, let's call it business models that the company is using and how it's interacting with the customers and uh, how is the company innovating new products and new experiences for their customers. So actually business architecture is a a term that uh, is an envelope envelope term for Mm. most of the parts of the organization, the way you do your business, okay? And the way you do your business has now a very, very deep relationship with digital technologies. Hmm. And the uh, the real question is, are you utilizing all the power of the digital technologies in order to be new or to innovate in new business models and new ways to provide experiences to your customers and so on. This is the digital, uh, let's say, business part of the the company. Hmm.
0: Well, and that leads, I think, to the final force, which is the actual digital architecture. Right? That's right. The technical underpinnings that enable your business architecture to be digital first, enabled by the culture and the leadership. What, what is your, te- tell us more about what it, what it means, what you mean by digital architecture.
1: Digital architecture, and I'm using here an article that I've read from MIT. Uh, they have defined two backbones. And I believe that every company should look at their architecture with these two backbones. There is the digital services backbone, and there is the operational backbone. Both have to integrate and to work and to collaborate in order for a company to be real a digital company. You cannot make your experiences great and your, your internal processes being far behind. So the company has to make sure that the two major big backbones, which is the operational and the digital services, are in in, in place. Hmm. And when I'm talking about and when I'm talking about the digital service services uh, backbone, I believe that we are really seeing how the world is advancing into a real-time into an event-driven, into a distributed uh, architecture. And you have to have your architecture in place in order to be able to utilize the cloud, the edge, the the distributed, in order to manage many applications that a couple of years ago were not imaginable. Mm. Okay, Now you have to manage them and it's becoming complex so you have to make sure you have the tools how to manage it hmm. well i want to get back to real-time
0: event-driven distributed in okay. a minute, because that's an important topic but i also want to make sure my listeners and i clearly understand the distinction you're making between the digital services backbone and the operational backbone can you clarify yeah. what the you know meaning of, of those terms?
1: yep of course uh, the digital uh, architecture Uh, I would say, and this is something that I have experienced in my uh, previous job in direct insurance, we have developed, sometimes I hear also the the term that's coming from Gartner, which they call the B-model architecture or B-model organization or B-model IT, Mm -hmm. which means that you have to have one part that is spinning very quickly. And this is the front-end part, the part that uh, integrates with the customers, with the different channels that the customer is using, and with other machines, what we call the IoT. At the end, it's the the internet of everything. It's not just of things. So this part has to be a very uh, adaptive, a very efficient way to develop quickly new experiences and new integrations Mm -hmm. for your products and for your customers. Mm -hmm. The operational backbone uh, revolves, I would say, at a different speed, slower speed, because you cannot make changes if you are an insurance company. Uh, You cannot make uh, changes from one day to the other one because you have to be very careful with all your legacy and policies that you have and customers and so on. But still, this backbone should also be advanced and capable to be integrated with the other spill, with with the other, uh, uh, let's say backbone. And so, these two backbones are the foundation, I would say, of the the architecture of any company that wants to compete in this new era. Hmm. Very interesting, thank you for that distinction.
0: I think that's a very powerful one. So we started with leadership, you know, driving, by example, culture in the right direction toward agility that enables a business architecture based on a digital architecture that has two backbones, the digital services backbone and the operational backbone. I get it. And I think the yeah. framework uh, makes, makes a lot of <laughs> okay. sense. Okay. Now okay. Now I want to return to something you brought up a minute ago about a real-time event driven, distributed architectures. Okay. Tell us a little more about why you feel that kind of architecture is actually what you need or what a company needs to be
1: successful digitally. Look, if, if we are uh, uh, looking at what is happening in different parts of our economy, then you see that more and more parts are becoming autonomous. We are talking about autonomous cars, we have autonomous warehouses. We have a ton- autonomous uh, parking lots. Uh, and th- this type, this type of uh, let's call them businesses, okay, or, or parts of the business, uh, must react very quickly to a lot of different events coming from different sensors, and there are a lot of sensors. If you look at a car, a car is full of sensors. It's you can call it a sensors on on wheel, okay, right. right? Or computer on wheel, some we call it sometimes. If you look at a smart city, a part of an application like water management, or uh, uh, el- electricity management, mm-hmm. or light management, these are applications that require for you to be very very responsive into into a pace that I believe that previous applications didn't have to. Hmm. So now we are developing more and more applications that need this uh, event-driven, uh, let's say, framework, uh, because they have to uh, listen and to be uh, very reactive in sub-seconds sometimes uh, to this different event, there is no. This is not the human, regular human interface between a computer and a human. This is a different uh, paradigm. Just so one example to support that.
0: And just Sorry? one example to support that. From this conference, I met a major global elevator manufacturer was giving a exactly. presentation yesterday, and they said their new elevators now each elevator car has over 200 sensors on it two sensors putting yes. out data in real time to enable yes. them to make both instant decisions about, about what to happen, what, about how the elevator is working that moment, as well as longer term decisions about when to service it, predicting what kind of maintenance is necessary. So that's one elevator car with 200 sensors. Can you
1: imagine? Yeah, Just, just imagine the, 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 the data that such yeah. an elevator creates in one day or one hour, <laughs> exactly.
0: and and the real
1: challenge is to process all this data. Okay, yeah. and to, to first of all, sometimes you have to react directly, real time, what we call. Right. And sometimes you can make uh, slower decisions because it's uh, uh, longer uh, service times. But anyhow, this is a different economy. Okay, and and for for a different. In my in my words, it's it's a new paradigm, and companies must understand. Trying to cope with old technology, and the old database-oriented applications, which everything happens on in a server. By the way, this is the the, the issue that the edge computing is becoming now a very very uh, modern, and a very very discussed topic. Because a car doesn't cannot wait uh, for giving some or an elevator for running to the cloud, yeah. making a decision and getting feedback. You have to do it in real time. So you have you have to use new type of technologies. Mm-hmm.
0: Interestingly enough, still on the elevator notion, my building in San Francisco has cloud unfortunately has cloud connected elevators and okay. uh, and they 're not obviously not run on the edge and because they are cloud connected uh, there 's a tremendous amount of lag in running the elevator. Exactly. I, these elevators are down continuously. Uh, definitely not using edge computing principles to run an elevator in real time. That's, that's not how to do it. So I think you're, yeah. you're very yeah. correct Thing saying if you're going to become a real-time event-driven business and using those technologies, increasingly I, I'm convinced you will have to adopt edge computing to make that happen.
1: Exactly and you have yeah. to use your your backbone and uh, i'm talking here also about ventic that enables you to partition the application to and to run it wherever you want and it could run on the edge it could run on the cloud it could run on premise and uh, these capabilities are becoming more and more important as as we go mm-hmm. into into this mm-hmm. autonomous and real time yeah economy. Very,
0: very interesting. Uh, and obviously the listeners know why you are speaking at our event in a, in October, because your understanding of real time, uh, architectures as well as real time business, I think, and bringing those yes. together is what is, what is so critical. So we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about some hardcore technology, but back to the notion of who needs to drive digital transformation in a business. Is it, uh, there's the discussion ongoing about it versus ot right the operation side of the business versus the technology side of the business uh who do you think is fundamentally more responsible for ensuring the success of digital transformation initiatives
1: yeah this is really a challenging question and uh, i'm not sure that i have one or i'm not sure there is one answer yeah that fits for every organization. So there will be different flavors of this, uh, let's say, type of uh, responsibility between IT and OT. Uh, I can tell you, for example, when I worked with Bezek, which is a large incumbent telecom operator, at my times, uh, there was a real distinction between IT and OT. OK, I was in charge. I was the VP of uh, IT. Right. And there was another VP, which is called VP of engineering. But he was in charge of the all, of the OT part of the uh, systems. At that time, it was very understandable. Uh, the OT was quite different from the IT. OK, we had different technologies. We had different servers. It was different types of uh, equipment. Over the time, uh, we noticed that we are converging. And uh, both types of organizations are using more and more the same, the same uh, technologies. We are using databases, SQL type of databases. We are using Unix servers. We are using TCP inter, uh, and so on. So this is what was once. If you look now, same company that I worked for, they have converged the IT and the OT under one manager and it's called the VP of technology and network. Okay, so there is no more a distinction or a clear distinction between IT and OT. They are under the same responsibility and this uh, manager, this VP of technology has to drive technology in the different parts because yeah. everything is related to everything okay mm. so i believe that at the end of the day in some times, in some types of organizations this will be the landscape so there will be one leader which will be the cto the technology leader i don't know there are different names there is the cdo right cio and so on but the, the different organizations will somehow converge because the technologies are converging, the applications are crossing the boards between the different type of organizations. And uh, yes, there will be also organizations that you will see a CIO working beside a CDO, mm-hmm. And this is fine. This is also, in, I believe that this organization are, I would say, less real-time, Rest uh, engineering type of applications, mm. because if you are into this engineering t- environment, it will converge eventually. Mm. Very interesting.
0: And I, I asked this question of many of my guests and that, that's actually the first time somebody has, has talked about really the convergence of IT and OT. And I think that's uh, a, a very, uh, very This will be the trend. Very interesting. Well, we're getting close to the end. I I usually ask uh, my guests to, I give them a chance to call BS on some aspect of conventional wisdom, maybe where the gurus are saying uh, one thing and you believe it's actually going to go in another direction. Uh, Is there there an
1: area where you think uh, most people are just off base? Um. I'll be humble. okay. I'll be humble for that. But anyhow, I believe that there is such an area. I'm reading a lot of articles and even books that are uh, predicting that uh, humanity will lose a lot of jobs, and maybe the unemployment will be uh, very significant in the coming years. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Because I, I would say we have witnessed technology, a lot of technologies. At the beginning, everybody was afraid. Okay, we are going to lose the jobs. Just to take one example, if you take the refrigerator, okay, when the the electric refriger, refrigerator appeared, a lot of people lost their jobs. The jobs was cutting ice on uh, and distribute the ice. And suddenly, you don't need them. So uh, there was a sense of, of losing. Uh, and we are talking about large numbers, millions of people. Okay? And if you look a couple of years later, now that the refrigerator is a commodity, still there are people selling refrigerators, distributing them, repairing them. Uh, so there was a shift in the employment But I'm not sure that we lost many jobs. We lost some type of jobs, but we gained some other type of jobs. So, coming back to the robotics and AI and all the digital stuff, I believe that this will be the same. We are seeing and witnessing now that there are, for example, new jobs that we didn't have a couple of years ago data scientists, okay, Mm -hmm. where is something quite new. And as Mackenzie says, they are going to be one of the most wanted type of jobs in the future. So I'm less pessimistic than some of the people and they look at the technology in the long term, how the technology will affect uh, humanity regarding employment. Yep. Well, I, you know, I fundamentally agree with you, Roz, and I think,
0: as we've discussed in previous episodes, it's about humans and machines and systems collaborating, collaborating right? Exactly, yes, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. And that will make, yeah. you know I think, uh, raise standards, raise the economy, create jobs yeah. everywhere.
1: So uh, that's, yes, that's the there whole... Will be, the there will be a need to reskill people, to, yes. to teach people, but... I believe that the overall picture is not so pessimistic as yeah. some people are trying to tell us. Good, well, I'm with, I'm with you, Roz. <laughs> so let's
0: wrap it okay. up, any, any final takeaways or tips for a business leader that is trying to drive a real-time transformation in her business? Yes.
1: Uh, first of all, I have to, we, all, of, all of us have to admit that this is a challenging process. And what we call sometimes the digital journey is really a challenging process. It's, not, it's easy to say, hard to, to perform. Okay? And secondly, I believe that this journey is almost a never-ending journey. It will not end after you will implement this or other type of technology. As soon as you implement something, there will be a new technology. There will be a new business model. Right. There will be new competitors in the market. So we are talking really about an ongoing journey that I don't know how long it will take. And I believe that leaders have to understand it as, as they go on and embark on this journey. Yeah. Some leaders have the notion that, OK, it's a project. And right. I, don't, I don't call digital transformation a project. It's, it's a long-term program. Yeah. It's a long-term journey. And if leaders understand and have the right expectations, I believe that they will be able to lead their organizations through this quite challenging, I would say exciting times, really exciting.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's great advice, Raz, and uh, that wraps it for us. So thank you for joining us today. A very insightful conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in person this October.
1: Thank you very much, Blaine, and it was my pleasure, and thank you very much. You're very welcome. And for those interested in hearing more of Roz Heiferman's thoughts, you can
0: email him at roz.heiferman at i8.ventures and follow his posts on LinkedIn, although it might help if you can read Hebrew. And we <laughs> definitely look forward to your new book, both in Hebrew and English, and I'm um, for many of our listeners in Chinese as well. So thank you again, thank Roz. Thank you very much. See you in San Francisco. You bet. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.